In this episode, I'll share 12 principles of dressage naturally. And these are some of the most important guidelines for success, according to me. <laughs> so when things start going wrong, I always remind myself of these principles. They're foundational. So they're always the best place to start when you're trying to problem solve. So here we go. Episode 57, Principles of Dressage Naturally. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. In this episode, I'm actually going to be reading from my book, Dressage Naturally. And I'll be reading for those of you who want to follow along or refer back to this uh, from pages 22 to 23. So story time with Karen. <laughs> uh, so this book came out in 2007, 8, something, something like that. I started writing it in probably 2004. And these principles arose from me sitting myself down and trying to come up with some guiding principles. So coming from the dressage world, I kind of had a system to follow. And then being introduced to a new system in natural horsemanship, you know, I had that to follow. But what I was doing was unique because there weren't, I didn't know anybody else that was doing dressage and natural horsemanship. And, you know, in, it, what is important about principles is they become the glue that connects the dots between all the random exercises and, and pieces of knowledge. You need some sort of, yes, I guess that's why they're called guiding principles. Because when you know your principles, they will guide you. Now on my website, I have a section called principles and priorities, and I narrowed it down just to like three, <laughs> uh, just to keep it kind of brief. But in the book, uh, I go a little deeper into it and I actually talk about 12 of them. So I highly recommend anybody who wants to dive a little deeper into the theory is to get the book. Uh, it actually comes with about three hours of video also. So I guess the best place to start is just to start. All right. Basic principles of doing dressage naturally. I think what I'll do is I'll read through all 12 of them. And then I'll go back and go in a little bit more depth. So the first one, and I, I think these are in no particular order. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. I, I, I don't know what order they should go in. And we could probably debate over it. And it doesn't really matter because they all apply. So the first principle I'll mention is balance feels good. Second one, horses and humans will naturally seek harmony if given the opportunity. Next one, the basics of dressage are for the horse. Otherwise, it has no purpose. We need to see dressage from the horse's perspective. Next, mental, emotional, and physical development are equal doorways to our goal and equally important doorways to our goal. Next one, Dressage can only be as good as the partnership, biomechanics, communication, and riding skills combined. The next one, everything comes from and returns to relaxation. Next, qualities of dressage can be found in a dynamic of relaxation, energy, and balance. Next one. Humans must also have mental, emotional, and physical collection. Next, freestyle inside the finesse. Next, remember the horse's natural motivators. The 11th one is isolate, separate, and recombine 
and the twelfth is that precision and play need to be in balance. So now you have kind of a feel for what those principles are. And I think let's go through each one and just go a little bit more in depth. So the first one that I mentioned is that balance feels good. So the beginnings of dressage for the horse are all about eliminating, eliminating, <laughs> eliminating negative tension and then restoring the balance of the horse with us on top of them and then achieving efficient and healthy biomechanics from there. And so this should feel good to the horse if we do it well, right? Eliminating negative tension, restoring balance, and achieving efficient biomechanics, a freedom of biomechanics. How could that not feel good to the horse? And so if it feels good to the horse, we could guess or suppose from there that true balance should not need to be maintained with force. And definitely not with force. And actually it shouldn't need to be maintained with strong aids. So it really makes sense. If you're achieving balance, or if you're in balance, truly, you can have a very heavy object. And if it's balanced, it takes almost nothing to hold it in place. If it's off balance, that's when you need to use some muscles to hold it together, right? Think of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. When it's leaning over, there's huge cables holding it together. Because if those cables weren't there, it would fall over. But something that's, even if you think of a really tall pole that's really heavy, if it's actually balanced, you don't need to hold it. So I think the same thing applies to our horses. Again, it makes total sense. But then so many times I see students and we ourselves, I, I can, I've experienced this and I've seen lots of students experience this, that there's um, a struggle at the beginning to try to, you know, get the horse on the bit and get them, you know, correct. So many people get stuck at training level dressage and training level is supposed to be the easy part. Right? So if we're really looking for balance, the breakthroughs that happen at the very basics should be, you know, almost the, the most profound, the horse should be appreciative. When I do clinic dem or demonstrations at clinics or something, if I want to um, make the most impressive demonstration, I'll actually choose the least balanced horse because those um, chronically unbalanced horses, uh, when you do show them a little bit of balance, they're so appreciative. It feels so good to them and they're really tune in and they tend to go from struggle, struggle, struggle to, oh my gosh, I could, you know, I could sit up here and do nothing and my horse is in balance. So, you know, again, this is very uh, logical, although it may not always be intuitive when we're in there with our horses. So remember the principle that balance feels good. So the second one kind of relates to this. Uh, horses and humans seek harmony if given the opportunity. So there's nothing more beautiful or natural than animals moving in synchronization. You know, horses move as herds and humans gravitate um, towards those that they're, you know, find similar, you know, birds of feather. <laughs> so we, we flocked, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like ourselves. It, there's a, a harmony. So the first step in bringing our horses to us in mental, emotional, physical harmony often is then is to go to them in harmony first. It's our responsibility to prove to our horses that we can be harmonious with them, that they can experience a feeling of harmony with us. So if we start by following them, then they will more readily follow us. So the easier it is to, to the more harmonious we are with ourselves, the easier it is to be in harmony with us. And this idea of it, 
is that it, you will seek harmony if given the opportunity. And that kind of connects back to this idea that things in balance and things in harmony shouldn't use strong aids or strong forces to keep them. If it really is harmony and you give the opportunity to stay or go or maintain or fall apart, then you find out if it's real harmony. So many times in dressage, there's instructions given like, keep your leg on, don't let them do that, <laughs> and things like that. And so riders end up striving for this perfection by holding and holding and holding and holding and forgetting that balance feels good and that harm and that bodies will seek harmony if given the opportunity. And the way you give an, the opportunity is by giving the opportunity to be in harmony or not, and then find the answer. And then when you know what was really happening, then you're in a position to really problem solve and figure out what's, what's missing and then add it back in. So you can achieve that harmony again. And sometimes the easiest way to be in harmony is to go to your horse, right? There's two ways to be in harmony. Your horse follows you or you follow your horse. <laughs> and there's so many times I've seen students who have chronic tension or chronic um, conflict or disagreements or brace with their horses. Their horses are never going the right speed. They're never quite going the right direction. And from the second that they get on their horse, there's this conflict. I want you to go, but you don't want to go. I want you to slow down, but you're not slowing down, whatever it is. And so within, of course, the, the boundaries of safety, sometimes what I'll suggest to people is just get on and do what your horse wants to do for once. If it's hard to experience harmony with your horse, sometimes the easiest way is just go, you know what? I'm not going to ask you anything. I'm going to love whatever it is you want to do. And you'll be amazed at the power of giving your horse the opportunity to feel that harmony, that feeling of you not demanding, the feeling of you just loving whatever the horse does. And from that place then the conversation can begin. So don't underestimate the power of that. It, it can often drive people crazy. And I'll often coach people through that for an extended period of time. If I'm doing it in a lesson or a clinic, and I know they're probably muttering under their breath <laughs> at me <laughs> because they think this lesson is really dumb and really boring. But if I, if I help them stick with it longer than I know that they ever would if they were doing it on their own, that's when you can break the pattern and the horse starts to bring their defenses down because they go, hey, today's different. They're not bracing against the leg coming on or bracing against the reins coming on or bracing, anticipating the conflict. And they start to, to open. They start to let their the brace and the defenses come down. And when the braces and defenses come down, the opportunity for harmony arises. So the third one, the basics of dressage are for the horse. Otherwise it has no purpose. See it from the horse's perspective. So good biomechanics and harmony and balance feel good. We already talked about that. And as the moments get challenging, as you go up the levels in dressage, the purpose actually becomes less and less clear to the horse. And they will be performing upper level movements simply because we asked and because they can. So we need to recognize that healthy leadership, um, you know, we need to, to recognize the kind of leadership that's healthy in order for going up the levels and doing more and more challenging and less and less purposeful things becomes a positive experience for the horse also. So purpose of upper level things is much more obvious to the horse in, in things like cutting or jumping. You know, they see the cow, they see the jump, and they know what they got to do. Hey, jump got higher. <laughs> I think I, I think I better jump a little higher. Hey, that, that cow's a little trickier. <laughs> I got to hustle. 
But horses don't go, hey, this is the same arena. How come a half pass has to be steeper? How, how come I have to do that many flying changes? Right, so there's not an inherent purpose outside of our aids. So it's really important that as dressage riders, as we go up the levels, that we have a clear, really clear communication, really clear destinations and endpoints. And so that they feel a little bit of a sense of purpose with the movements. And I've talked in previous podcasts about how I've used um, upper level movements almost like tricks, right? Because I do a lot of what I call silly horse tricks with my horses that, that builds that distinctness of, hey, she's asking for something and I did it and she's happy <laughs> and I get rewarded. Let's do that again. And then they, you can apply that to more demanding exercises. But I think it's really important to have that differentiation of doing the basics of dressage, which is all about balance, which should feel good, having that as our base. And if we spend the first block of time, whatever that is appropriate for your specific horse, proving to them every single day that however they come out that day, that our dressage schooling session leaves them feeling better, leaves them feeling more free in their movement, more balanced, more invigorated, more successful, deeper breathing, more relaxed, more proud of themselves. That is what's going to keep the base so that then we can add on top of that. Yeah, I proved you my aids are there to help. My aids are there to help. My aids are there to help. That's why they're called aids. And sometimes we do these weird things that are just challenging. And hopefully we've developed them incrementally over time. So the horse builds their skill and they can still feel proud of them. And they can feel that the purpose of them is this interesting puzzle of aids and coordinations that they're into listening to because we have such harmony with them, because we've proven to them so much that 90% of the time we're doing things that just make them feel better. And sometimes we go to the gym and do some um, weird exercises <laughs> and that then they can build a pride in that. And those upper level dressage horses, I mean, they become masters and then they get it and they know because of, but it, it has to come from the base of harmony and the clear communication. All right. The next one is the idea that mental and emotional and physical development are equally important doorways to our goal. So making sure that you create a strong desire to accomplish a movement. When a horse really understands exactly what's being asked of them and they have a desire, we've used um, techniques to increase their motivation to do it that they will put their body in the position it needs to be in to get that job done. I mean, that makes sense, right? You ever see how well a horse sits on his haunches when he gallops down the fence line to the corner. And then, you know, you think, oh my gosh, he's going to crash. And then he sits right down and like really lowers his haunches and carries his weight and then lifts the front end and turns in this beautiful, you know, canter pirouette kind of balance. You know, when they have a strong desire to do it, they will organize their bodies to get it done. I mean, they know how to move their bodies. We're trying to artificially create it on demand with us sitting on them. But really having us creating the strong understanding of our request and the strong desire to do it is going to help us so much more than taking a bored horse who's desensitized and a little bit angry because we're doing the arena work again. And then trying to get that horse to do a, you know, graceful pirouette. I mean, that seems like a handicap. And also excellent biomechanics creates an ease and a willingness to perform the movement. So the, you know, it works in reverse too. So the more excellent we are with our techniques and that we physically develop them conscientiously with a mind towards details to create a horse that is truly straight and supple and engaged. If they're in that physical balance, then re 
a lot of our requests, especially if we're doing, you know, somewhat more advanced things, third level or, you know, half passes and haunches in and simple changes and things like that, it's going to be easier. And so this is something, you know, coming from the dressage world where I felt like I had so much education about the physical aspects of the horse. Uh, and then adding in, you know, as I went into the natural horsemanship world and learning more about horses, natural horses and psychology, realizing how much I had missed about techniques and, and developing and being aware of their mental emotional states, right? So, and I realized that, wow, if I learn a little bit more about how to communicate and how to motivate, then they um, physically put in more effort. But I also observed the opposite of that. So being in the natural horsemanship world, I saw many times issues were being treated as mental emotional issues, right? Because that's where a lot of the focus was. Uh, so every problem seemed to be treated as a mental emotional problem where as a dressage rider, I could see like, well, hey, that horse is really crooked. That's why he can't do that. Or he's really unbalanced. That's why he can't do that. And if we just do some physical exercises, then he's going to be much more willing. And he won't be confused because he won't under, you know, he'll, sometimes horses are crooked and then they get confused because they don't know why they can't turn equally one way or the other. They're like, I don't know, it just happens. I don't know why I'm going faster on the left leads. Just, just get, that's just what happens. So they get confused when there's corrections or things like that. So this is where it's um, such a gift to have some education in both worlds and why I was so motivated to combine these uh, areas of education that I had because mental, emotional, and physical development are equally important doorways to our goal. And we want to develop horses that are ready, willing, and able. All right, next one. Dressage can only be as good as the partnership, biomechanics, communication, and riding skill combined. It's our responsibility to take care of all of these aspects. And I don't know if there's much more to say about that. It's pretty obvious. Uh, but so many times our dressage problems are not dressage problems. They're partnership problems. They're biomechanics you might think that falls into the dressage category, but biomechanics in the way I described earlier that shouldn't need a lot of aids, <laughs> that kind. And communication. A lot of times in watching people endeavor to do dressage and try to learn it, they get frustrated because they, they just feel a lot of aids, put more leg on, more rain, outside rain, inside leg. And they, you know, they hear aids, 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 aids. But what's not being told to them is what they want to have happen when those aids come on. So if I'm taking a lesson and someone tells me more leg, I'm going to say, what would you like to happen when I put my leg on? Are you looking for more energy? Are you looking for more bend? Are you looking for more activity? Are you looking for me to straighten the haunches? Right? So unless you know the secret code of your particular instructor, you need to know as a rider the intention of the aid. And you, even if without an instructor there, you need to know like what exactly are you trying to say to the horse. And then look at the quality of that communication. So if you want to be able to say, hey, I need your haunches to move over, and you ask your horse's haunches to move over, you've got to really look at that and say, how did that work? <laughs> did my horse's haunches move over? Or do we need to stop and review that specific communication? So in clinics and in my uh, finding the sweet spot of healthy biomechanics course and in the video classroom, you'll see many, many times when I'm teaching students and I really hold a microscope up to that quality of the communication. Because in my mind, as an instructor, how it looks to me from a dressage or judging point of view, you know, is that the correct working trot? That is less important than how well is, are the horse and the rider communicating with each other? 
if they're communicating well, then yeah, let's, let's get particular about the biomechanics. But if they're not communicating well, if they're wrestling with each other and leaning on each other, embracing with each other, I don't care how good it looks because the communication's off. And then of course the writing skill. So it's, so yes, we need to have control over our bodies. We need to be precise. We need to have self-awareness. We need to be able to have our hands do what we want our hands to be doing. So a lot of times I'll ask students like, what does your left hand want? Do you know it's like wiggling around like that? And so we can figure that out. So that's just a really, I think a good tool to self-diagnose and to troubleshoot at home. If you're having a problem, you can sit back and go, is this a partnership problem? Is this a biomechanics problem? My mm -hmm. horse, my horse is <laughs> crooked or something like that. Um, or is this a communication problem? Am I asking for something and my horse isn't really doing it? My aids are too strong. Or is it simply a riding skill? Is my seat floppy? <laughs> is my focus off? Am I looking down? Am I crooked? Things like that. Okay. Uh, the next one, it's one of my favorite ones. They're all my favorite ones, but this one's a big one. Everything comes from and returns to relaxation. So energy without relaxation is tension. Energy with relaxation is power. It's exuberance. So if the horse can't return to relaxation quickly, then chances are we're building up tension. And tension and anxiety can hide inside of movement. So checking that the horse can stand calmly and quietly at any time during a session is really key to assessing a horse's true calmness. So I like to start every ride with being able to sit on the fence, have my horse self-park and stand there and wait. And then have me get on and have him stand there and have me get on and have them stand there and wait. And then at any time during the ride, can I just take a break and have them stand there and wait? And at the end too. And so I've, you know, because tension can hide inside movement, I think that standing still is so important to see. And with, with some horses more than others, for sure. Uh, because every now and then you meet a horse who is tense and they show their tension by shutting down. So that kind of a horse would be an exception. Uh, but standing still is a really good clue for a lot of horses. And if you have a horse that tends to be a little on the shutdown side anyway, or the bulky side, they might really be standing still, but holding tension. So whatever that looks like in your horse, know your horse, figure out what is, what does he or she look like when they're holding tension and make sure that you start relaxed and you can return to relaxation at any time during the ride. So for, for the other type of horse, that um, returning to relaxation might mean you go for a little walk for a second. There's been plenty of horses that I ride that I'll be doing dressage. They do something really cool. And in the middle of the session, I don't stand still. I'll go for a walk outside the arena, do one lap around the little field and then come back in. And start again. And if that causes problems, then you know you were building up tension. Because if no tension was being built up, you should be able to leave, come back, no problem. You should be able to stop, relax, get right back to it, no problem. If there's problems when you return to relaxation, if you feel like, oh, I can't let them relax, or I'll never get them going again, that's a red flag. Because true relaxation is rejuvenating. And you should be able to start afresh Right, so that's always a little bit of red flag. If taking a break makes things worse, if going away and taking a couple days off makes things worse, then I know I was building tension and the tension is what they were holding, not the relaxation. All right, next one. Ooh, my next one is also a favorite one. <laughs> I guess they're all my favorite because I wrote them all. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, so the qualities of dressage can be found in a dynamic of relaxation, energy, and balance. And these three qualities affect and are affected by the other. So this is a big one. Anybody who's taken a clinic with me or seen any of my work knows this is the sweet spot. 
The sweet spot is a certain combination of relaxation, energy, and balance for each horse on each day and each movement uh, that will make you go, ooh, this feels good, and it's so easy. And so where this came about was um, after creating sort of the foundational partnership with my horse and having my comfortable transportation, or what I call a little happy camper mode, and then I said, okay, now I want to do dressage. I paid attention. I said, okay, now what am I doing differently? When I start thinking it's time to think about biomechanics, what did I start paying attention to that was different than what I was paying attention to when I was thinking partnership foundation? And I realized that everything that I did, every adjective you could want, when you start thinking of increasing your number of adjectives you have to describe healthy movement could be put in the category of relaxation, energy, or balance, or a combination. So it makes sense that if you want to start improving your horse's way of going, you're going to need to be able to talk to your horse about energy and relaxation and balance. And you want to hold a microscope up to those communications to see how good they are. And then really interesting things happen because if you see a horse going not quite right or you feel your horse going not quite right, you have to figure out it's, something has to change, probably, you know, in a couple areas, but there's often one key area and they can affect each other in really interesting ways. So sometimes you can create more relaxation and that increased relaxation actually releases the, the, the brace that's been holding back the energy. So you relax your horse and they go more forward. Sometimes you have a horse that's off balance. And that's creating emotional tension and physical tension. And when you do a little bit of work and exercises to create the balance, then suddenly they can relax. And then the energy level goes to, uh, to where you want. They, they become less impulsive. Sometimes you can um, increase the energy level. And then that increased energy creates a different balance, which then causes relaxation. So they all interact in really, really fascinating ways. And this to me is endlessly interesting. So when I look at a horse, I'm, I'm measuring what's the energy, what's the relaxation, what's the balance. And we can start playing with, you know, pick one <laughs> and make an improvement there. And then, and then notice, did you get any um, extra beneficial side effects? So sometimes you'll, you'll pick say energy and you'll, you'll improve the energy level, but it doesn't really make a global change. It's like, okay, their energy is better, but nothing else really changed. But sometimes you'll, you'll pick one like the energy. And when you change the energy, you think, oh my gosh, look at all these other things that happen. All of a sudden they're balanced and now they're blowing out and they're more free in their body and they're relaxed in their top line. So it takes the whole like infinite number of things you might have to improve on a horse in the infinite numbers of horses and infinite combinations of horses and riders. So no matter who they are, it's got to be one of those three things. If it's not a partnership or foundational issue, I love playing with the sweet spot. Okay. And in the sweet spot of healthy biomechanics course, we really hold your hand and walk you through that process. I describe it in the book. So if you want to read about it, you can um, read about it there too. All right. Freestyle. Oh, oops, I missed one. The next one. Humans must also have mental, emotional, and physical collection. That's right, folks. It's not just about our horses. We need to be at least as ready, willing, and able to perform as we expect our horses to be. So cross-training and simulation are really valuable to prepare us for our horse. And we need to remember that riding is an athletic endeavor requiring clear thinking and endless patience. So this is all part of the personal development part, endless personal development. That probably should be one of the principles that I add in there. Pull that out because personal development and horsemanship is inseparable. But that's really what this one is about. Mental, emotional, and physical collection. That's personal development, right? Being clear in your thoughts being in control of your thoughts, aware of your thoughts, and aware of where you're focusing and when, and then being emotionally fit 
calm, cool, and collected, right? That we, we have tools for avoiding frustration and for having endless patience. And physical collection. So, you know, we, we need to be balanced too. We need to strengthen our core. We need to sit in, in an engaged and supple and balanced way. And there's plenty of things that we can do to cross-train. You know, Pilates and yoga, dance. I mean, I've done so many different activities. And oh, I think I learned something about my riding in all of them. Like I remember when I was doing a, a lot of rock climbing and I'd be up on this cliff on this face and I'd make this one move and I'd be like, you know, I'd, I'd activate, a, I couldn't make the move. And then I finally I'd activate some other muscle in my body and I'd be able to do it. I'm like, Ooh, that's the same problem I have in half past to the right. <laughs> I have trouble moving my hips over to the right. And I'd learn something about that on the cliff or when I was mountain biking you know, and I'd get up and let the mountain bike bounce underneath me and I'd feel the shock absorption in my um, arms. I'd be like, oh yeah, this is just like riding. So if you're looking for it, if you're looking to improve your mental, emotional, and physical collection, there's lots and lots of ways to practice it. Online at the grocery store, when someone in front of you is going really slow and paying with a million coupons, you get to practice your patience that you'll need with your horse. Okay. Onward. Three more. Okay. Freestyle inside the finesse. So the idea of this is that the reins are for communication primarily about connection. There's really only three purposes of the reins. So one is a, a point of connection to complete the circuit of energy of all is one with our horse. No floppy bits. <laughs> One is to, another purpose of the reins is to receive, um, yeah, receive information. Because there's certain things that we're going to be able to feel that we can't feel without the reins there. You'll just, it's, you get more information. And another purpose of the reins is for very subtle, precise, communication about the position of the head at the end of the neck. Because that's one thing that the reins can do in a much more easy and precise way um, than anything else. So when you're riding bridleless, you can, you can talk to the horse about bringing their, their necks up or down, or even bending right and left. But with the reins there, you can be a little more precise. You can say, make it one inch longer, make it half an inch shorter, do a one degree flexion to the right or the left. And it's, it's, I find that's much easier and kinder and clearer to the horse. So you can get a lot done without the reins, but you know, there's nothing wrong with reins as long as you're using them well. So we need to prove to ourselves and our horses that we don't need the reins to stop or to regulate speed or to turn. And if we can do that, then we have the greatest chance of obtaining and maintaining uh, self-carriage and lightness when we're riding in connection with the reins. So the challenge is to not use your reins for those things, for, for controlling speed, for controlling turning, for controlling stopping, even when we're holding them in connection. And so on my website, well, there's a video in the video classroom about this, uh, but on my website, if you haven't yet already, uh, you can sign up where I'll send you three free videos. And one of those videos is about freedom inside the connection. And it's a really cool exercise uh, that's related to this point and um, where you ride precisely with no reins and then you pick up the reins and let the horse go where they want. So it's a really cool exercise for mental and physical coordination. And it can yield some really, really interesting results with your horse. So um, very precise point to point, you know, go to this mark and stop uh, with no reins. And then you pick up the reins and use the reins for what they're for, a point of connection, 
feeling information and subtle positioning about the head and neck. Um, but you let the horse go where he wants while you're doing that, because that's not one of the purposes of the reins. So really, really, um, can, can be mind blowing for the rider and the horse. So that video you can get for free. You just click the little button on my website and you can check that out. All right. Second to last one. Remember the horse's natural motivators. The grass. <laughs> so what, what are horses naturally motivated by? Well, number one, safety, right? This makes sense. Have you ever seen a horse run through a fence and injure themselves in order to get to what they think is safety, right? So horses will hurt themselves to get to a safe place. So if horses are not feeling safe, it's really dangerous to be around them at some point. I mean, the nice ones just kind of check out, but <laughs> that can be unsafe too for us. So we want them to feel safe. And that's always the number one thing is to prove to them like, Hey, you're safe in our world. You're, you're safe in this crazy human world. And we have to prove that to them. And after they're feeling safe, then things like comfort become important to them. And so that's, that's why, I mean, it, it makes sense. Everybody wants to be comfortable. So things like negative reinforcement can work because we add a little bit of a stimulus. And then um, when they do what we want, we take the stimulus away and they're like, whew, back to comfortable again. <laughs> right? And, you know, I'm, this doesn't mean we cause them pain and harm when we do negative reinforcement. I've done a podcast about that. It just means, you know, the, the pressure of, Hey, I'm thinking of you doing something. And now I'm not now we're, we're resting can be very motivating for a horse and, you know, different than a dog, for example. So I think a dog's motivators are probably a little different because, um, you know, a dog, you know, play exuberant play is a big motivator and, you know, where a horse, you know, leave them alone. <laughs> leave them alone. They don't want to play. Just, just leave them alone. Now, after they're feeling safe and comfortable, then a horse could get playful. Some characters more than others. I have some horses that just, they're not playful. A lot of mares, you know, aren't always playful. They, the mares I have are, uh, they're playful, but um, it's different than the geldings. It's like they get in a playful mood and then when they're not, they're not. Most of the time they're not. <laughs> um, where geldings, you can kind of go, hey, look at this thing and they'll come over and play with it. So we can use play, but it's got to be on the horse's terms. What kind of play does that horse like? Do they like to just quietly sit there and maybe the two of you each hold a stick and you gently tug on it while they gently tug on it? Or do they like to go ripping around the property, you know, chasing a big ball? So every horse is different. Don't make assumptions about what one horse finds playful and, you know, or not. And horses can be motivated by food for sure, especially if they're feeling safe and comfortable uh, enough to be playful. And then you can use food as rewards. Um, I'm, I'm cautious about using food to reward a horse that's in a mental state where they're in fear or they're not feeling safe, you know, or they're not feeling playful and they're just like, give me that. <laughs> so my rules, give me, give me never gets. Uh, so, you know, those are horses sort of natural motivators in order. And then of course we need to know our own specific horses motivators. Do they like scratches? Do they not? Do they like to be touched? Do they not? Uh, things like that. So, um, we want to use that. We won't, don't want to just get stuck in why are they doing it? Because I said, so that's why, and I'm a leader and you have to do what I say. Like, I think we need to move a little bit beyond that. That's old fashioned. It's ego driven. And I think there's an opportunity to so many more amazing results and so much more harmony and fun and have it feel good to everybody if we really think about our horse's motivators and what's going to create the desire for them to do it simply um, more than simply, well, it's more uncomfortable if I don't do what she says. 
So uh, investigate motivation. All right, last one that I have here is isolate, separate, and recombine. So whatever qualities you'd like to have simultaneously, practice achieving them separately and then in closer and closer proximity of each other and then in transition from one to the other. The ability to combine them will naturally present itself. So in developing new abilities with your horse, the idea is to prepare the possibilities, make sure you have those ingredients, dance around the subject, then accept, acknowledge, and reward your horse when he offers the new coordination and abilities. So think about in, you know, in foundation, we take our time with this. We say, okay, we need to stop. Let's practice stopping. And we have an exercise on that. And then another day we might go out and we practice turning sort of things. So it's in the beginning, that's sort of obvious. It's, you know, we, we teach the alphabet. We DJ and then B and then C and then D. Right. So we make sure that we have some things that we can build communication and build sentences from. And this comes into um, play also when you're problem solving, right? So you're doing something complicated. Let's say you're doing a shoulder in and shoulder in isn't going well. Instead of doing another line of shoulder in with stronger aids and another line of shoulder in with stronger aids and another line of shoulder in with stronger aids, you can isolate what are the ingredients of a shoulder in? Well, there's a line of direction. There's um, bending. There's moving the shoulders off the track. And there's the inside hind leg tracking straight and, and carrying more weight. So which one of those things is going wrong? <laughs> Maybe a lot of them. Well, which one is the one that you think is causing it? Which is the core problem? And also, which is the which would be the easiest thing to bring to a higher standard? Right, so that's those are kind of two ways I'll I'll isolate and recombine. I'll say, okay, I know that the big problem is that inside hind leg is really weak on this side. But let me instead of just going, okay, you got to work harder, right leg, because he's like, hey, I'm 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 already having trouble because I told you it's weak. <laughs> now you're gonna say, we'll use it more. That doesn't sound like fun. So I might say, okay, I'm not going to be able to correct that today. I can't make them stronger in one day. But what could I do? I could say, well, I'm pretty good at talking to the shoulders. So why don't I up my standard in how excellently that horse can move his shoulders off the track with even a lighter aid and me sitting even better and getting into it on the first step. So my first step's the best step. And doing it only for a few strides and getting back straight again before it falls apart so that every step of shoulder in I take is more correct so that every step I take is actually strengthening that inside hind leg. So if I'm going to do 10 steps of shoulder in, they're all going to be where that inside hind leg gets maximum impact instead of doing 100 steps of shoulder in and only three of them, the hind end is really carrying because the horse is better at avoiding than I am at <laughs> fixing it up. So I can isolate and go, what's the problem and where somewhere I can um, quickly make an improvement up my standard. So I might just do some little shoulder mobility exercises, really tune it up, tune it up, be like one, two, three, boom, into that position. Practice getting in there quicker and lighter and easier. And then after I step aside from, I can, you know, isolate those shoulder moving exercises, maybe some little forehand yields or turns on haunches or, you know, whatever it is that's going to help me move that shoulder, isolate, separate it out. Then when I feel like I have the shoulder moving a little better and lighter and quicker, then I'll recombine it and I'll try a couple steps of shoulder in. So that would be an example of um, how to do that in, in an exercise can also think about, well, here to use the shoulder in again, uh, this concept of any two qualities you want to have happening at the same time, alternate between them until they naturally combine. So this is another 
um, exercise that fits in this isolate, separate, recombine um, category, except it's the horse that ends up recombining it. So the first example was an orchestration of exercises where we isolate, separate, and then we recombine. And here's another, here's an example of um, waiting for the horse to recombine it. So let's say you're doing shoulder in, you get into the shoulder in, and then after a few steps, they lose energy. So, all right, so we have two qualities. We want a shoulder in and we want energy. So those are my two qualities that I'm looking for. I'll separate them out and wait for them to recombine. So I will do a few steps of shoulder in. When it starts slowing down, I say, okay, we can't do shoulder in while maintaining energy. So let's not try because the alternative is forcing and making. We're not going to do that. So a few steps of shoulder in and then go out of the shoulder in and get your energy back. Once you have your energy back, then do some shoulder in. You'll probably lose energy. So that's okay. So go straight and get the energy back. When you have the energy, don't talk to the energy anymore. Now ask for the shoulder in. And so for a little while, you're going to have one or the other. And I promise you, if you practice it like that without forcing two things at once, your horse is building the coordination of energy and then a shoulder in and then an energy and then shoulder in energy and then shoulder in. And pretty soon you're going to be in the shoulder in and you're going to notice that your horse still has the energy or you're going to be in the, sh you're going to ask for the energy and you're going to realize, Hey, I asked for energy and my horse is still in the shoulder in. he never straightened from it. So it's building a coordination. It's bouncing from one set of aids to the other set of aids because you don't want to be putting all your aids on at once. You really can only be talking to your horse about one thing. Everything else needs to be an active neutral. So you're just flipping which is active and which is an active neutral. And that is a so powerful <laughs> a principle that it is, it made the top 12 list of the dressage naturally guiding principles. So that's it. Uh, if, if you, I think, you know, you might want to listen to this podcast again with a piece of paper. And if you don't want to take your own notes, it's all in the book. Again, pages 22 and 23 for those of you who have the book. And those of you don't, uh, it's in my shop. You can find everything through dressagenaturally.net. And I'd love to hear how some of these things resonate with you and how they helped. Uh, Dressage Naturally Land is always a great place to go and leave a comment, start a discussion. Uh, let me know which of these principles helps you the most. All right. Bye. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse move in harmony and enjoy the process.